Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Hey, thanks, Brent. Uh, I was weeping because I kept thinking about people this morning. And then you call me senior pastor. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, 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 you know, I was like, thanks. I feel so good now, um, and everything that's going on with that. But it's it, there are people that have poured into our lives, guys, that um, have allowed us to be here that have gone before us, and and I know. Brett knows many, I know many. I was with one yesterday on the way back home from LA, so uh, it's been a blessing. Hey, a couple of things. There's some birthdays happening, man. I know um, Sandra Martinez's birthday is here. Kim Beck's birthday. Ignacio, our Hope House Kids' birthday today. I just want to give out some shout-outs to some uh, birthdays. Happy birthdays to you guys this morning. Um, made today be special for you. Guys, we're going to continue on in our sermon series, Freedom in Christ, looking this morning with my sermon titled that the battle is real. We're going to be looking at Romans 7 predominantly and then jumping over to uh, Galatians chapter 5 at the end. Um, we know that if you want freedom, it's not without a cost or without a battle. I remember uh, when I was young, I love to go to camps, and I remember this one year I went to camp, and when you go to camps when you're young, they often put you in two different types of teams because those teams were set apart to battle against each other, to compete against each other. And you hope by the end of the week that you have been the victor of defeating your opponent uh, at the end of the week so you can, you can recognize and honor the victories uh, today. And I know that one of the events that we would do in this competition during the week was a thing called tug of war. I remember the day, when we were younger, we had tug, we had that long rope, right? And the two opposing teams would face each other and they would have to hold that rope and there was a line that you had to pull them across, right? Let me tell you today, there's some lines we're not meant to cross over, okay? But in the tug of war, in the battle, your job was to work as a team, to work as a community, to pull the other people so you can gain the victory, when you get into Romans chapter 7, you're going to see that there's a tug of war going on. There's a battle going on, and the battle is real. The battle is real this morning. You'll see that in Romans 7 and Galatians chapter 5. And guys, we know that there is a battle between the flesh and the spirit. One is trying to pull us to its, its side. And we find two natures when we're battling there. And Paul the apostle is very familiar with that battle. And I know if you've been in the faith for a while, you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced that battle. And you've come to realize over the years that the battle is real. As Pastor Brent said earlier, many have succumbed to the battle. But we have to be diligent in the battle as we're going to be looking at this morning as we continue on this sermon series as we focus on the battle. We know that there is a material world and there is a spiritual world. There is a physical world, and there's an eternal world. Some might call it the natural, others the supernatural. Paul referenced in his letter to the Corinthians, there's a celestial and a terrestrial. Losing these big words for you sci-fi geeks out there. <laughs> right? 
But the identity we hold on to in Christ will help us navigate this battle. So the question I'm posing you this morning as I've been laying out these 10 questions is this. Do, you see, do I see myself primarily as a saved sinner or a saint who still sins? Paul understood he was a saint that battled the flesh and he honestly addresses this in his writings in Romans 7 and Galatians 5. And we're going to get a personal look at Paul's writing as it relates to this battle. Let's pray. Father Heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. And Lord, as we get into this text this morning, I know it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle for our hearts. It's going to be a battle for our mind. It's going to be a battle for our will. It's going to be a battle for us to focus because there are going to be things that are going to be mentioned and talked about today that's going to bring up surface things in our lives that we're going to have to look at. We can't run from the battle. We can't hide from the battle. The spiritual battle is real. There's a warfare that's going on for our souls and our minds and our hearts. And Paul reveals in his story as he narrates Romans 7, Lord, as he brings it out, Lord, we're going to see his own personal battle. And I know that we're going to be able to relate to that because we're humans. We see the human side, the humanity of our hearts and who we are as people. And God, we know that we are believers, saints, Lord, that fall short sometimes. But by your grace and mercy, we're still here today. And so we thank you and we praise you and we honor you, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. We're going to look at three things this morning through Romans 7 and then closing with Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Number one, we battle, we battle our carnality. We battle our carnality. And what do I mean? This? Because when I was in college, I had an old Ford truck. Now, this truck was really, really old. It was so old that the stick shift was on the, on the steering wheel. I'm telling you guys, I don't know what some of that is. Some of you might know the stick shift. That means it wasn't power steering. It was manual steering. Like some of you guys live in the 21st century, right? You don't know what power steering is. You could sit in your car, in your low rider car, and turn the wheel with two fingers. It wasn't like that in the day. Remember, Brett? It wasn't like that. You, when you had to drive with the stick and you had to make a right, so you had to go. You had to do this to make that turn, right? And then, it, and then you could let go of the wheel and go, and right back into place. I don't, I don't know if you remember those days, right? I had a truck like that that would just like, man, you're crossing over. You had to, when you took your driver's test, you had to learn how to do it, right? Listen, it's kind of like that in, 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 our, in our walk with God this morning, right? Our nature is like the power steering, and our nature is like the manual steering. We often live in the old nature. For many of us, we have been battling the flesh, the war of two worlds, battling our own strength to make things different. But after a while, we get tired. We let go, and it, it goes into neutral, right? It returns to our natural bent or position, this sin nature. And this is what happens when we battle in the flesh. Some of us have been working so hard to be good, so hard to be right, so hard. We're just working. We're getting tired. We're getting tired. We're working on the manual power instead of the supernatural power this morning. Though we are new creations, we are saints. We have a flesh nature and it wars with our new nature. That's why it's real. And so when you get into verses 13 and 14 of Romans 7, the first thing as we look at this carnality is that the law had a purpose. The law had a purpose. Okay, look at verse 13 here. He then... Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death to me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Now, we know that sin 
really means to miss the marker. We're not perfect. We fall short. Christ was perfect. He's, we are supposed to call to him. We're not perfect. That's sin. We miss the mark, which is Christ. We know that. We have to understand that in the background as we deal with the word sin here. But what Paul is writing here is this, that the law was the light to reveal our darkness, our sin, to reveal those things. You only have to go back to verses 7 through 12, preceding verses of this passage in 7, that we have known that without sin... We would not know that we're sinners, right? Without sin, we, without the law, we would not know that we sinned, right? It, some describe it like an, like an x-ray, the law, right? It reveals the problems, but it can't, it can't really fix it. The law was there to reveal our darkness, so then I fall short, right? Right? Some of you drivers, like, you got those lead foots on, 60, on 805 free, right? It says 65, you're going 100, Right? The law there to reveal. That's what it's saying there. It's revealing our darkness. It's revealing who we are. The Bible describes the law as a mirror, right? Showing our imperfections, but a mirror can't fix it. It just reveals it. There's no power in the law. In fact, James 1, 23 and 25 says, says, if anyone is a hearer of the word, the law, and not a doer, he is like a man observing the natural face in a mirror. So he's equating this law, this rule, these things as a mirror. He's giving that illustration for he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, get that? Perfect law of liberty, and continues and is not forgetful here, but a doer of the works. This one will be blessed in what he does. So this mirror here is to reveal. You got up this morning, I hope, and before you came to church, you went in your bathroom and you looked in the mirror, right? And you said, oh man, I better put some makeup on. Someone's like, oh, my hair's all, I got to comb it. It's revealing my imperfections, right? And so we, 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 we put uh, some makeup on, we put some cologne on, right? We, we're trying to get ready because of, of who we are, right? But we have to understand that sin is the cause of death. Sin is the cause of death, right? The law set the standard by to live by. The, the, the law was given that we'd have order in our lives and structure in our lives, but the law reveals our guilt. The law brought condemnation, and sin is the cause of spiritual death, for the wages of sin is death. We know that. Theologically, we know that. There's theology there in what we're doing. But as Paul writes, this is what he's revealing. Check it out. The law reveals the nature of man. The law reveals the nature of man, right? Look at 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, and later on we know that the law is good, the law is spiritual, it has power. But I am carnal, sold under sin. The law is good, but it can't change you. The law is good, it can't change you. Though the law is limited, it's still good. But we are carnal. What does that mean, carnal? The word carnal means fleshly or, or depraved. That's what it means, right? When Adam sinned, we were sold into this bondage. We were sold into slavery. All humanity became sinful. I often think about this, this carnality that happens. Though we're redeemed, we're, we're made new, and we're new creations, we still have a sin nature, right? We still have this propensity to, to do wrong, and Paul's going to get into that right now. I often reminded of this saying that my friend told me, you can take the man out of the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out of the man. Right? It's kind, of, it's kind of in there, right? Because how you grew up and where you grew up and the experiences you have was embedded into you and then you life changed you, but you still have that remembrance. You still have that capacity. You still have all that stuff in there. Sometimes the ghetto will come out in me sometimes. 
I remember when I was at a board meeting one time and they were dealing with an issue and I was like, well, what about boom, boom, boom? And I said, and I was coming hard on the board and I remember one of my fellow pastors, you know, a friend of mine, a pastor goes, hey, Pete, chill out, man. You're getting a little ghetto gangster there a little bit. Because <laughs> there's that nature still in me from East LA growing up in the neighborhood that I was. And I was like, oh yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I know I can't come that hard. <laughs> right, homie? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> But listen, listen, listen. We still have those natures and that carnality that's still there, right? We have a carnal nature, a sin contamination. I want you to jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 14. I'm going to use an illustration here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. We're going to go all the way to 3, 3. But I want you to see this this morning to understand the point that I'm making here this morning. Chapter 4, starting... At verse 14, I mean, uh, 2.14, it says this. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man. Now, I want you to see this chair here is like the throne. It's where the king sits. The natural man in his own life sits on the throne of his own life. He calls the shots. God is not even, he might believe in God, but God's not calling the shots in his life. He is calling the shots in life. He doesn't understand the spiritual things. In fact, the spiritual things are foolishness to him. They make no sense to him. What we do this morning and coming to church, it's foolish to them. They, they see no value to it. They see no significance to it. The cross is insignificant. That's why it's saying is the man does not receive or receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolish to him, nor can he know them. He's veiled. He can't see it because they are spiritually discerned. That's, that's the unbeliever. That's the unsaved. Those some of your phrases you kind of share the gospel with, oh, like, oh, you're religious. Oh, man, that's, that's good for you, but I'm okay. Whatever works for you, that works for you. Right? You know what I'm talking about when you share the gospel and people don't want to receive the truth. Then look at this. But, 15, but he who spiritually judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one, for he was known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. The spiritual, the spiritual man here, we, we see here right in verse 15, because they are spiritually discerned, 14, but he who spiritually judges all things. Who's the spiritual? That's the believer. That's the regenerated that's the one who follows Christ. That man, now, Christ sits on the throne in his life. Not him. We're here as servants of Christ. He sits on the throne. We're following Jesus. We're laying our life down to Jesus. We're walking with Jesus. He's calling the shots in our life. We're submitting to his word. We're being obedient to his word. We're following everything he says. My life is to worship him and bring him glory. Did we not sing a song about glory? My life is to honor him with everything that I do. And he sits on the throne and I'm at his feet worshiping him. That's the spiritual man. That's, that's the man we're called to. That's what it means to walk in the spirit. We'll get into that in Galatians 5 in a moment. But he sits on the throne. But guess what happens? There's a battle that takes place. There's a battle that takes place, right? And we see that here in verse 1 of chapter 3. And I, brethren, remember Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, 
For until now, you were not able to receive it, and not even you are still not able, for you are still carnal, for where there is envy and strife and division among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? What happens in our walk over time, and we forget that we're in a battle, is that we take Jesus off the throne, and then we put ourselves back on the throne. And then Jesus is over here. Right? That's what we do. And now we walk in the flesh. And it says that you're babes in Christ. You're, you're young in the things of God. You don't understand the spiritual things of God. I have to give you milk, but I can't give you meat. When you have a baby, right, you nurse that baby. He drinks meat. He can't have a steak. He's got to have milk. He'll choke on the steak. As young believers, you're growing in. You're getting milk when you're meeting with your disciples. You're getting milk when you have a relationship. You're, you're growing in the little things. But we got to mature to some meat, right? We got to have some filet mignon. We got to, you know, have some iron steak. We got to have some of that eventually. We got to grow up into that, that desire, that appetite for God. If we never get to that appetite, guess what? We're going to still stay in the carnal nature and we're going to be a hindrance to the gospel. We're going to be walking the flesh. The carnal man looks more like the world in the church. That's the carnal man, right? You can't even tell the difference between the, the natural and the carnal sometimes. They look like each other. Well, I find it very interesting, though, this is the battle, because what you're trying to do when you get to that place, 1 John 1, 9 says, confess your sins, be faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What you're doing is that, God, forgive me. I put myself on the throne. Let me step back, put you back on the throne. And then I walk with Jesus on the throne. Be careful of our own, our own carnality, right? In Christ, we have, we have been redeemed. In Christ, we have been made new and sanctified. But understand that our body is still contaminated, right? We have moved from a, from a sinner to a, to a saint. We have been set apart. And God doesn't define us by what we have done. He defines us by who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ. That's how he defines us. So we have this carnality in here in us. Now, Paul, John, Paul is going to get a little deeper with this thought. Second point, we battle the flesh. We battle flesh. Okay, Romans 7, 14 to 25, we see that here. Now, the battle we face is coming to the truth of who we are. Coming to knowledge of who we are. Some of us have been denial of who we are. And when it comes to the faith, he still has the ability to sin. It's like having termites in the walls of your house. The structure of your house is contaminated by the infestation of the termites. God is, God, what does God do? This house, right? It's like, like, like physical house. God, God has condemned the flesh, but because it's been contaminated by sin like termites, in fact, it's not going to fix it. He's going to give it a new one in eternity. See, this tent, it's been contaminated. Spiritual termites are in it. That's the flesh. That's the carnality. That's what it is. God says, I'm not going to allow this tent, this body, to get into my kingdom. So we're going to get a new body, right? A glorified body, one that fits in heaven. This body fits this earthly kingdom. A new body fits an eternal kingdom. This body don't enter into that kingdom. It doesn't fit because it's, con it's contaminated, right? But any infestation you'll see is the manifestation. We'll see the manifestation of the contamination in our own bodies. When you, see, when you see termites, you can see little bugs flying with wings. You can see the little droppings. You can see, you know there's clues of that contamination. We drop clues about our contamination everywhere we go sometimes. The infestation, right? We have this a carnal nature that is vulnerable to the infestation 
of sin and the law will reveal the inner person's weaknesses. That's what you see here in Paul's personal description of the battle of the flesh, the sin nature. When you get into this text here, it's a very interesting, there are a lot of different views about where Paul is in his walk with God. Some believe he's writing in his BC days, which I call before Christ. He's how, who he was before Christ and this is what he looked like. Some think he's just writing about who a carnal Christian looks like and he, he writes that. But if you look at the text, if you look at Romans 7, notice the personal pronouns. I, me, myself. In fact, in chapter 7, the word I is mentioned 32 times. The word me is mentioned 12 times. Myself is mentioned one time. We see Paul's personal confession of his battle. He's being authentic in his own relationship, and the battle's real, and it's up and close and personal. He's writing this narrative about, let me tell you about my battle. I believe this is Paul even after Christ. I believe this is Paul saying, I've been walking with the Lord 40 years. He's, he's older when he wrote this book, and he said, let me tell you about my battles. Because I'm battle ready, but I'm also battle scarred. And he's going to get into it here. First of all, 15 to 17, it battled to be good. Don't we try, we're trying to be good. Look at this. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. There's a lot of movement of the words there, right? Like, what do you mean? But I love it in verse 15. Paul is saying, what's wrong with me? You ever been, you ever been in that place? Why, why, why can't I just get this right? That's what he's saying here, right? In verse 15. For what am I doing? I don't understand. I'm confused about this state. Because the very thing I don't want to practice I practice. Come on now. Come on. I, I got to get an amen here. You understand what I'm saying? I, I, I battle that sometimes. Right, man? Oh, my God. What's going on in my mind? I don't understand. The law was there enough to stir up his conscience, right? His intentions were good, but his actions were doing the things he hated. That's, those are, that's, that's crazy. Why do I keep doing bad? You ever had those moments in your room where you're talking to yourself? Why do I keep doing bad? <laughs> Having your own conversations, looking in the mirror, saying, what, what was I thinking? <laughs> right? Why, why, why can't I slay this dragon that I'm battling? And I don't know your dragon. But why can't I slay it? Right. Trying, to do, trying to do better, right? We know there. Paul knows his right from wrong. You see it in verse 16 because he says, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good. Okay? Paul had this moral compass in him, right? He had this written law, but he couldn't put the finger on it that made him do wrong. I, I don't understand this. I think he had good intentions, but his actions were things that he hated, right? And he knows the wrong. See, in verse 15, he wants to do right. In verse 16, he does wrong. He didn't make it a practice to do good, but to do the things he hated. 
You know, let me tell you something. It's not a problem of lack of desire. It's not a lack of desire on Paul's part. But he was extreme in what he hated. It wasn't a, it wasn't a lack of knowledge for him because he wants to do it. There's a lot of things, guys, we are knowledgeable about, but it doesn't affect our behavior, right? We know we can read, a, you know, things on the back of food items and say, this causes cancer, don't eat it. Thank you, let me eat it. Right? This causes lung cancer, this causes, be careful how much sugar you get diabetes, but we still eat it, right? So knowledge doesn't transform us. I can, have, I can have all the knowledge, all the education I want. It's still not going to change me. Listen, listen, listen. You could come to church and get a lot of education, a lot of knowledge about who God is, and still not be transformed. See, we're not here to, this is not, this is not, you're not, you're not uh, coming to Bible school here this morning. You're not, you know, what is it when you don't have to, you, you want to come, but you don't have to pay the bill when you go to a class, what do they call that? Audit. Audit. You're not auditing your class this morning. Where, where you come and hear the knowledge, but you don't have to do the work. Okay? All right? You're not auditing your class here this morning. You're, you're not, you, you got to be careful of that, right? This sin, this sin nature still has influence, Paul writes. And he's not in denial about it, right? Paul is a believer. He's a saint. A saint is one who's set apart but he has his moments of weakness. He says, the sin that dwells within me. Wow, sin's actually in Paul's nature. In fact, he's battling his new nature. I think Paul lacks the power because the law has no power. Remember, he was a religious leader. He, he, he knew the law. You know, if we try to measure up to the law and the rules, we're gonna fail terribly. If we're trying to live in the do's and not the don'ts, that's difficult and I'm going to fail. I'm setting myself up for failure. So we're not about trying to be good. There's no freedom in trying to be good. God makes us good. God is good, right? And he said, hey, good teacher, they asked Jesus. Jesus says, no one's good but God. Right? That's what he said. The second thing we battle of the wills, the battle of the wills there, right? 18 to 20. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, Nothing good dwells for to will is present with me, but how to perform what I is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, verse 20, the sin that dwells in me, he says that. He says that in verse 20, if you go all the way back up uh, to verse 17, the sin that dwells in me, catch it. He's going to say that three times. He's, he's imprinting this thought into you. Let me tell you the sin that dwells in me. He's, he's saying, Paul is awakened to his own nature. I hope you get an awakened this morning to your own nature. He's, clear, he's making a clarifying statement. Nothing good is in me. Come on. Now listen, in and of him myself, Paul is saying there's nothing good. This, this, let me, this goes against our culture. I want you to hear this. It goes against the grain of our culture. Flesh is the base camp for our sin. Okay? Flesh, flesh is the base camp for our sin. Flesh is not sinful, but it's, it's sin that comes out of our flesh. But sin operates from it because we're in this fallen state. And Paul writes that if we think too highly of ourselves, he talks about that later in Romans 12, 3. Don't think too highly of yourself. 
I'm a pretty good person. How many times have you heard that? Share the Lord. Oh, but I'm a pretty good person. I've never killed anybody. Why do they always go to extremes? Right? Yeah, but you just beat up your girlfriend yesterday. All right? Why, why you just five-finger discount over there at Dollar, Dollar Tree? <laughs> but I'm, not, I'm a pretty good person. You know, standing before a judge. Judge, I'm a pretty good person. Normally. Listen, there's nothing good in us, right? In our culture, we want to esteem ourselves. We deal with the issue of self-esteem, right? Wow, the kid needs some self-esteem. What did Jesus say? Deny yourself. Let's set things in perspective here. Maybe our esteem is too high. Now, I know people could be mad at me, and I'm going to have to send people to counseling. But let me tell you something. Our esteem comes in our identity in Christ. I want you to hear that. Our identity in Christ, right? Because we get our esteem or identity when we try to to do good or to do these things by what we do, right? And then we have to perform. We have to perform, right? We have to achieve. We have to gain merit. And the law wants us to perform. It wants us to to act out. In fact, that's what it says here, right? He says here, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. How to perform. Like, we feel like at the church, we have to perform. People can't see for who we are, so I got to put on this actor's face. We call that hypocrisy. What if, what if you're really battling with a messy life right now? But like, can't anybody see my mess? Because I have to perform. I have to perform. I have to have this, this, this thing. Because Christians, they're not supposed to struggle. They're not supposed to have a, when you come to Christ, everything's supposed to come together. Everything's supposed to be good. Paul's coming to awaken to his nature. And, and, and there's a, a desire to, to do good, but he's having turmoil about it here. These two worlds are battling. The battle of the will and the battle of the flesh. Did not Jesus have that battle in the garden? He's going to the garden. He has to go to the cross. Not my will, but thy will. If there's another way, God, if there's another way, get through this, but not thy will. Not my will, but thy will. I'm sure Jesus was looking for a way out. But I have to surrender my will. I have to die to my nature here. And so Paul confesses his sin and admits to his wrongdoing. The things that I practice, we see in verse 19. Verse 20, New Living Translation says, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. This battle of the sin, this battle of the flesh, there's this nature within me, says it dwells in me. It cohabitates and resides in me. Man, it's infested with termites, spiritual termites. How about the battle of the mind? The battle of the mind, right? People want peace of mind, Right? Look at 21 to 23. I find then a law that is evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Guys, there's a warring that takes place in the mind. We can lose our mind. 
There's an infiltration of the mind, right? An interesting thing is Paul had enough truth in his mind. It almost was tormenting. It's almost tormenting. That's the problem with riding the fence in your faith. Think about it. One foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world, that's the carnal man. If you're trying to climb a fence, that's very uncomfortable. <laughs> that, that's tormenting. You know what's tormenting about it is you know that it's wrong, but you're trying to do what's right, but you're still living the wrong. That's tormenting. You're bringing torment on yourself. And we're, we're seeing there, Paul is dealing with this. Now, when he uses the wall, I find then a law. It's not talking about the Mosaic law here. We, we want to show you because earlier it talks about the law. It's actually talking about a principle. Actually, what he, Paul's saying is, oh, I have this aha moment, this, this principle of life I'm discovering. This, this moment, right? This spiritual understanding or insight. Paul is having a moment about the battle of sin. He, he's coming to his senses, that he senses that there's evil presence. The more you're into this word, the more you, you get into this word, you're going to get those moments with God about who you are, your identity, and your struggle, right? Because he says this. He says this in verse 22. What does he say? I find delight in the law in my inner man. There's, there's pleasure, right? I take pleasure in the law. I take pleasure in the things of God. I really want to walk according to his word because his word strengthens the inner man. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16, it says this, therefore, we do not lose hearts, even though our outward man is perishing, this physical man, this fleshly man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Ephesians 3.16 says we find strength in the inner man by the Holy Spirit. So there's hope right there. You see hope right there. That this inner flesh thing is, but God's still doing a work in you because he's begun to work in you and to be faithful to complete it. But he acknowledges in verse 23 that there's another power. There's another force. There's a tug of war going on right here. And it's warring against the law of my mind. It's battling in my mind. I saw another, lie, another law, that, meaning another insight about my flesh, about my members. It's waging war that takes place in my mind. And I want to take me, and it wants to take me captive. It wants to hold me in slavery. There's a spiritual battle that goes on. If you played the scenarios out in your mind, you're dealing with the struggle of your own addictions, whatever that may be. Man, I gotta stop this, man. I gotta stop this. What's going on? The war. I wonder why that's why Paul later writes in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, about the armor of God. And he tells you to put on the helmet of salvation. You see where I'm going with this? The helmet of salvation? It covers the mind, it protects the mind from the lies of the enemy who wants to wage war in your mind. He wants, to, he, 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 he wants to protect your mind because he knows the, the intents of the battle. In fact, the word captivate means to take hold of one's mind. To, and we're called to captivate our thought life. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against rulers and darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavy places. It's spiritual. For our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty of God for pulling down strongholds. We fight the spiritual with the spiritual. We don't fight the spiritual with the carnal. See, you cannot battle the things in the mind in the carnal way. 
Maybe that's why Paul wrote uh, to the to Philippian church in four to, re, to meditate, on, meditate on things, what is good, noble, excellent, praiseworthy, all these things, because he's renewing the mind. We eventually get to Romans 12 about renewing the mind. But there's a war going on in your mind. Information is being plugged into your mind. Things are going into your mind. What doors are you opening up that was opened into your mind? Because you got to think it before you do it. The enemy wants to take you captive. But get this. We also battle to defeat death. <laughs> Look at 24 and 25. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Ah, I think Paul's getting to the hope here of chapter 7. When you read chapter 7, man, it's, it's actually very depressing, it seems like. Like there's no victory. Like this brother needs to go see a counselor. Like there's depression. Like where's the hope in all this? He's coming to the reality of his sin nature, his depravity, his, his, his carnality, his Paul, right? He's lamenting with the words, oh, wretched man that I am, who delivers me from this body of death? He's lamenting. He's crying out. In fact, the word, the word wretched here is the ancient Greek word that means wretched. is more literally wretched through an exhaustion of hard labor. What it means, he's tired of trying to please God by his own efforts. The word wretched means heartbroken and, and dejected. He's, he's in that place, oh, wretched man. Let me tell you something. But I also believe that Paul is later in his life and the further he walks with the Lord, the further he grows in his mature Lord, he experiences the holiness of God. And as he experiences the more the holiness of God, he sees his own darkness, his own depravity. Because he calls himself, if you watch his maturity and his walk through the Bible, he's a sinner, he's a chief sinner, he's a sinner of all sinners. He, he begins to describe himself in those manners. You would think he's bad. He's getting better. Oh, he's great. You, that's how the world would say it. But the further he got in the light of God's glory, the light of God's presence, the further more he realized his darkness. Think, think about the, 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 the Old Testament characters and think about Job. He said, I, whore my, I abhor myself and I repent in Job 42.6 when he came to aspects of the presence of God. Isaiah 6 says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Daniel 9 said, I should be ashamed of my sin. And Paul, as he got older, says, I'm a chief sinner. The closer we go in our walk, the further we go in our walk, the closer we get to his holiness and his glory and his beauty, the more darkness we see of ourselves. We're ugly people. In light of God's cross and grace and mercy. But we miss that. We miss the holiness of God. The sanctification process of what that is. We realize the power of the cross and his atonement and how sinful we really are. And we begin to understand his love for us. And how much he gave for us. Paul is desperate for deliverance. In fact, in ancient times, kings would torment their prisoners by shackling them by decomposing corpses. What Paul is saying, I long to be delivered from this decomposing body of death. And so, Paul knows where to turn to for his victory. <laughs> right? 
Verse 18, Paul asks how to be good, how to have victory. But verse 24 and 25, Paul has come to a moment, aha moment, a long moment where he realized it's not how, but who can deliver me? But who can deliver me? The cross of Christ is our victory. It's not the law, but by his love. It is through Christ we have defeated death. So he acknowledged the battle was real and he looks to Jesus. It doesn't necessarily mean that there is no battle or struggle, but he looks to Jesus. Because there's a nature in us that needs to be reckoned with or accounted for. We talked about that reckoning in chapter six last week. It's, a, it's an accounting term. And so we have to battle with this, this flesh. Now I want you to close with this briefly, guys. Jump over to Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 18. We battle the flesh in the spirit. Because I don't want to just leave you hanging with this. Pastor, man, I feel bummed today. God is our deliverer, yes. But let's get some tools, right? Let's get some, some ammunition. Let's put some tools in the tool pouch here. We battle in the flesh. Galatians 5, 16 through 18, right? There's a medical procedure called heterotopic heart transplant, a.k.a. the piggyback transplant. This procedure is like open heart surgery, but they don't remove the old heart, but they add a new heart next to the old heart. And the two hearts beat as one. One heart is natural to his body. The other was given by a sacrificial donor to provide the strength and vigor lacking in the natural organ. Our sinful hearts are failing us and we need a transplant and we don't have the capacity to live spiritually healthy lives. So Christ became our sacrificial heart donor. He gave us his heart. Our natural heart, sin nature, continues to be within us, pulling us down and holding us back. But thanks be to God, who we can piggyback off his grace, strength, and vigor. We're pigging off the work of God. So we have to battle in the spirit. We see that in verse 16, right? I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right? When he says, I say then, he's saying, I want you to, I'm continuing with this thought, looking back to verses 13 and 14. What does it say in 13 and 14? It says, it's for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, and do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The law of liberty, right? Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is a bridge. It's a bridge, Okay. If you walk in the Spirit, if you walk in the Spirit, you will fulfill the things of the Spirit. So if you look at that passage in Galatians, he, he, he's saying here, walk in the Spirit. Don't walk in the flesh. He gives a list of what the flesh is in verses 19 to 21. You can go back and read that. It's a whole list of the flesh, the manifestation of the flesh. But walk in the Spirit behind the law. That it's, it, the walk in the spirit is really the, the spirit of the law. It's the spirit of the law. Here's the law, but let me tell you what the spirit of the law is. That's what it means to walk in the spirit. In fact, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. August, august, against such things, there is no law. So you have the law, then you have the spirit of the law. Right? When Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount, he, he took all the law, all the things, and he says, let me tell you the spirit, right? The law says, do not commit adultery. Jesus said, even if man lusted, he's already committed adultery. There's the law, but let me, let me get to the deep root of the law. That's what he's saying here. He's getting to the heart of the law. 
walking in the spirit is, is really about pleasing God over pleasing ourselves because true love is sacrificial. To walk in the spirit is to walk through God's lenses, not our own. We're walking in the empowerment of the spirit. He's, he's setting the priorities, right? We focus on the attributes of God's love, not our self-seeking love. That's what it means to walk in the spirit. But when we walk in the spirit, we know that there's oppositions. When we walk in the spirit, we'll face oppositions because there's a defense against our offense. Look at 17 and 18. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh and they are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So what do you see again? You see the tug of war, you see the battle. The battle is real, right? Paul's writing again. The flesh and the spirit, they're warring against each other. And each of these spiritual teams has an objective. And each has a goal. One leads to life, one leads to death. And in any battle, there are victories and defeats, but there are also casualties along the way. And so he's bringing out another law, another principle, another thought here, right? He's bringing out another principle here. We have victory when we walk in the Spirit. I want you to see the whole picture here as I close. I'm going to close here in like two minutes. Chapter 6, we looked at last week. Should I keep on sinning that grace may abound? God forbid, no. But grace is still there for us. We've been talking about grace early on. We're saved by grace. Grace is our safety net. Chapter 10, we're dealing with the flesh. We're dealing with the carnality. We're dealing with that, but our hope is what? But thanks be to Christ. Thanks be to God. Thanks for the cross. Christ. Then we jump to Romans chapter 8, right? Now, therefore, there's no condemnation for those that in Christ Jesus. Nothing could separate us from the love of God we see at the end of Romans 8. Do you see where Paul's going? Where he's talking, he's being about these real issues of the battle that's real. But let me tell you the provisions of grace and Christ and no condemnation and love in the midst of this whole battle. So my thoughts with you this morning as we're dealing with our own nature, we have to be careful about battling in our own strength. We're not using manual power, but spiritual power, right? We have to be careful we're, when we battle with the flesh. We understand our nature. We understand the capacity. And we have to battle the flesh in the spirit because the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. The God in us, the Christ in us, that's the power because nothing good's in me. The only thing good in me is God. That's the only thing good in me. Apart from him, I am nothing. Because as I call the worship team forward this morning, and I've been praying about this and thinking about this, my, even my own walk, Lord, where have I fallen short or the struggle or the battles, or the, the things here? Ah, this message was for me as much as it was for you. But what I want to do this morning as we close, and we're going to close in communion in a moment, as Jeremy's going to come lead us in a moment. Maybe there's some dragons you're battling with this morning. Maybe there's war getting placed in the mind. Maybe you're trying to do better and trying to be good and all the things we try to labor in, in our own strength. But you just need some deliverance in the spirit.
what I want to do is if you're just struggling with some temptations and struggles and battles, this is not a place of judgment. I'm not trying to throw I just want you to stand up so we can pray for you. We're going to lay hands on you. We're going to pray for you. I know this is a COVID situation. That's why I'm asking. I know that's scary, but just stand up right now. And I want to take a moment. The leaders are going to get around you. I see you, I see you, Trank. Blessings, man. If there's battles or turmoil, struggles, temptations, things you're trying, I'm trying to overcome, anger, bitterness, whatever it is, I don't know. You know those things. Just as the Lord is ministering to you, I want to minister to you as we pray. It's God's, those are things, those are real, because we know that the battle's real. See, part of victory is acknowledging the, the weaknesses that we have. I, I'm here standing with you. Acknowledging the weaknesses we have in our own lives, that we need strength and we need God's power. There's no shame in that. There's freedom in what you're going to do right now. There's freedom. This is where freedom comes. As you're acknowledging, I'm weak. And what did he say in his Bible? For when I'm weak, he is strong in me. So pastors, leaders, church, if there's somebody near you, put hands on them. If there's somebody, put your hands toward them. We just want to minister to those that are here in our family this morning. For those that are online, maybe you're standing up online and you're at home. If you need to stand up, we're going to pray for you online too. If brothers and sisters are online, just put hands on them, whatever it is. We just want to take a moment as we're going to worship here and take communion that the Holy Spirit would do His work that He needs to do here this morning. Father, have we humbly come before you this morning in the name of Jesus. Our Father, our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be your name, your holiness, Lord. Father, your holiness is here. Your Shekinah glory is here. Your, your presence is here with us by your spirit, Lord. And so we're asking this morning, Lord, we come humbly before you as we know that, Lord, Father, we are sometimes people with unclean lips and unclean minds. And Father, we do things we don't want to do. We practice those things we hate. So we need your help this morning. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched woman that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death, Paul? said, Lord, we're asking, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come now and fall afresh anew on your people. Father, we, we ask that your Holy Spirit would begin to minister to the hearts and their minds, Lord, that the wages of the war of the mind as it's taking place, Lord, it brings shame, it brings guilt, it, it brings condemnation, it, it brings all these things, and they have waged war in their minds, and they battle it in their own privacy of their own hearts, in their own homes. But Lord, I, I know that you came to set the captives free this morning. Father, you came to, to break the chain of bondage through your spirit and through the cross. And so, Lord, I'm praying for your people this morning, Lord. Your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, as we know we're going to be tempted, but greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. Father, you said, how do we overcome the, the battle of this world? Even our faith. We have faith and we have victory in our faith. And so, Lord, I, I come and pray in the name of Jesus for your people this morning, Lord, that you would touch them right where they're at, Lord. Father, speak into that dragon this morning. Speak into those things and break whatever heaviness or burden they're feeling this morning, whatever yoke of bondage. And I pray for those online this morning. Maybe they're standing up. They're in their bedroom or on their computer or in their TV, wherever they may be right now. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Father, you begin to minister to their hearts and their minds also. Break them free. Release them from this body of death. And give them newness of life. In the book of Acts, the, the Jews came and came to Christ and said there was a time of refreshing that came. I pray that there's a time of refreshing for your people this morning. A joy. A joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength.
Strengthen your people this morning. Strengthen them in this battle that we battle every day that we could get battle weary in this walk with you. But I pray that you would supernaturally strengthen them so when the enemy comes, he has no right, jurisdiction, power to overcome. So we're praying these things believing. Believing for the impossible. They've been battling, could be battling with the issue for years. They can't seem to be breaking it. But Father, you're going to break it this morning because we believe by faith you're a God that's a delivering God. And you broke the power of the enemy at the cross by the blood of Jesus. And you went down to hell to set the captives free. And some people have been battling with hell in their minds and hell in their hearts. But Father, we pray that you renew them, Lord, and bring them a mind of peace. That they would understand their identity in you. That the blessed are those who are called the children of God. For there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I don't care how dark you've been, nothing can separate you from the love of God. As we come to confess our own mess to you in the privacy of our own hearts where we acknowledge we need you. So I pray for your people this morning. Touch them, bless them, strengthen them now, Lord. The load is going to be lifted. Lift the weight of the heavy. All those who are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus said that. Learn of me. But I pray your words this morning that have gone out would be refreshing to the soul, refreshing to the mind, those here and those online. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I pray these things believing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.